there is something that is just absolutely beautiful sharing worship with you, uh, sharing music with you, and of course, if you're here, you're um, already experiencing that closeness that we are gifted. Just say for those of you who at church online, when you have the chance, come. It's, it's better here. I, I know the drive is longer, but the Spirit is beautiful. And thank you for, uh, thank you, um, they're not here, but I'm pointing at them, uh, the folks who led us, and thank you for being led, and thank you for participating with us in that. When I was a uh, much younger gentleman, let's call myself a gentleman, um, I went to summer camp. And I had the privilege of doing that for a number of years, and we had a bit of a routine there. After lunch, we would frequently sing some songs together, and some days it was fun songs, and some days it was uh, spiritual songs, and uh, I was okay. I liked them both. I thought that was, both were good. But I did tend to prefer the more upbeat songs for the most part, and I can remember singing one that was particularly rollicking, and we would goof around a little bit and, you know, stomp your foot as you sang it, like good old stomping Tom Connors. And uh, as, as you sang it, we were, we were allowed and encouraged, and it went something like this. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And I'm not going to sing anymore for you. Uh, it's a fun song. And it, it, was, it was supposed to teach me things like how to keep a beat. I, I didn't learn that. <laughs> but I was also learning theology from it, and it taught me all kinds of things, and I just drank them in. I, I didn't think about them. They're written down. We sang them. Must be right. Uh, I just let them seep in. Have you ever heard that song before? Do you know that song, anyone? Yeah, yeah all right. Have you heard anyone else? You've heard songs like it? Have you heard people comment things like that? Uh, years later, uh, I am untangling theology snippets that I have, you know, picked up from all sorts of different places. No particular references for any of them, so I can't go back and check. And I still think that that, that song is fun, but I'm not in support of the theology behind that song anymore. Yeah, it's more heaven stuff today. Heaven has shaped so much of our Western theology. Or maybe, maybe, maybe it's North America that has shaped so much of our heaven theology, okay? It's not a new idea. It's ancient. It's certainly uh, a big deal in the first century, and it's called Gnosticism. It's a great word, obviously, because it starts with a G, and you didn't see that coming, and my name starts with a G, and I think that's pretty great. Our, but are you Gnostic? A quick summary here. Um, it's the belief about what's good and what's bad, all right? So, Gnostics believe that the Spirit is good and pure, and it's the essence. And they also believe that anything physical is bad, and it, and it drags us down, it slows us down, it pulls us towards being lesser. And it ties in, you know, with some Paul's language about how the Christian needs to battle the flesh and follow the Spirit. And the, the people who promote this view, they don't quite get what Paul is saying, but it shaped the way that they read and the way that they think. 
And then maybe it does the same for you. Some of you have had exposure to this also. It certainly was not uncommon, and it certainly still is not uncommon. So when we are thinking of heaven, we frequently think of Revelation. So especially Revelation chapter 21 verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So finally, going to get us a new earth, right? Everyone says we need one. We need one because the old one is bad, right? It's all broken down. Nothing works right anymore. And if that's the way that you are thinking, and that's the way you're putting pieces together, then you will certainly be able to connect with 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So some say that God is going to scorch the earth with fire. Some Christian traditions take it to mean that God is going to incinerate this world, vaporize it, and then create a brand new one, and that, that will be heaven. That when we die, our spirits will somehow float up to heaven, and we will live in cloudy places playing harps and eating Philadelphia cream cheese. In that very simple, but I, but I must say very common view, there are so many questions. Is God going to burn the whole world with fire? Is God going to destroy this earth and build a new one? Is heaven up? Why do we imagine heaven as so cloudy and misty? Is that just because heaven is supposedly in the sky and the sky has clouds? Why are we playing harps? How do we play harps if we're spirit beings? Won't the harp just drop onto and then through the cloud floor? Much of this is anecdotal heaven stories. We, we heard it somewhere from, from, from someone, and I don't remember exactly who, but that list of questions is really important because when we believe, it shapes what we do, and it shapes how we treat people and treat things around us. It's all about our relationships. Here is my position for you. God is not going to destroy this current physical world and then create something brand new. We will live on a renewed earth, not a replacement earth. So then, was the philosopher Belinda Carlisle right when she asked, Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. And I don't think exactly, but not so much a place on earth, but as a fully redeemed earth. So Jesus is not a conductor like Tom Hanks in the Polar Express, handing out tickets to far away heaven. Jesus is a carpenter, repairing and restoring, redeeming and renewing God's good world. So when we hear the Apostle Peter say, the earth will be destroyed by fire, and that we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, these verses are often cited to justify what's probably become a cliche that they made into a song, and you know it, it's, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I'm waiting to go to heaven. I'm waiting to leave earth. And because of that, many people dismiss the importance of the present earth. 
After all, if God doesn't care enough about this planet to save it, then why should we? Let's slow down a moment here, okay? Let's take a closer look at what Peter is saying. And this uh, common and popular misinterpretation is precisely backward. First, Peter begins by reminding us about Noah. So that happens right before we talk about verse 7, so like 5, 6 of 2 Peter. Um, he reminds us about Noah. The Lord judged the wicked with a flood that destroyed the world. And in the next verse, he says in the same way, so 2 Peter 3, 7, again and still, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So Peter is comparing the future destruction of the earth by fire to the previous destruction of the earth by water. But the flood story, where the water is, is back in Genesis, and it doesn't say anything about the earth being literally destroyed and replaced with a new planet. So this can't be exactly what Peter's thinking. It's got to be something a little bit different. Instead, just as these flood waters cleansed the earth, purged away all unrighteousness, Peter means that the wicked, w wicked people, wicked institution, wicked systems that perpetuate evil will one day be destroyed by fire. Like the destruction caused by the flood, the destruction of the world by fire will be a cleansing of unrighteousness and a renewing of the earth. So, a few verses later, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, Peter continues on. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Nobody knows, no matter how many uh, calculations they do. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire in the earth, and everything done in it will be laid bare. So this, some say, must refer, must refer to the utter destruction of the earth, with only the souls of those saved by God being rescued from the flames. But again, I think if we take a closer look at this interpretation, we find that there's problems. These elements that Peter says will be destroyed by fire, but that cannot refer to the destruction of the earth, because his very next words are, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Greek word for elements is often translated as heavenly bodies, so stuff like the sun, the moon, and the stars, which are all associated with the heavens throughout Scripture. According to Peter, the heavens will be pulled back like a curtain to expose, to reveal the earth, no longer hidden. And this is some common imagery from Peter's culture, which viewed the heavens like a garment or like a blanket covering the earth. Removing the heavens leaves the earth naked, visible unable to hide from God and His judgment. This model of the cosmos, the way the whole universe kind of works, is metaphorically represented in the architecture of the Jewish temple. That, I'm sure that you were just about to say that, right? And honestly, we don't do uh, temple tours here all that frequently, but let me walk you through it really quick. According to the Old Testament, the temple, there's thick blue curtains embroidered with angels, representing the sky 
or the heavens. And that separated the main room from the temple. The holy place decorated with trees and flowers and fruit to represent the earth. And that separated from the inner room, which is the holy of holies. And everything in the holy of holies is entirely covered in gold to represent God's throne. Therefore, rolling up the temple curtains or removing the heavens would fully expose the earth to God's presence. And once you understand this imagery, which is Jewish and very common, Peter's comparison to Noah's flood and his bec- also to his, the flood, what he's trying to say becomes more clear. He's not saying that the earth is going to be materially destroyed and then replaced, but that the earth and all of the evil upon it will no longer be hidden. It will be exposed. It will be revealed. And then it will be purged away by the fire of God. Our God is a consuming fire, but our God is not a fireball. This language is very common in both the Old and the New Testaments and refers to refinement of metal, which we don't do that much, but we know this idea, refiner's fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy. I need the fire to make me holy. I'm set apart. Holiness is set apart, not perfection, but a set-apartness. My heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. So, Paul says that the day of judgment will be a fire that reveals the quality Uh, of each person's work. And in another letter, Peter said, trials reveal the purity of our faith, the way a refiner's fire purifies gold. In all these texts, the image of fire reveals, and it purifies, and it purges. In Greek, there are two words meaning new. There's neos, which emphasizes chronological newness. It means new in age or time. It's new. It just arrived. And there's kainos, which emphasizes qualitative newness, meaning new in condition or quality. When the apostles, and that's Peter and John and Paul, they they talk about a new earth and a new heaven, just like Peter's doing here in 2 Peter 3, they all use the word kainos. The New Testament does not teach that the earth will be replaced and made with a new one, but that it will be made like new in quality by the exposure and destruction of all evil. Evil is what is corrupted. That's what we need to get rid of to bring it back fully redeemed. So the fire does burn up stuff. It does consume stuff, but it consumes stuff in in order to salvage what God wants to salvage. It burns away what should not be there. The fire is a purifying thing. Just like in the days of the flood, everything and everyone that is opposed to God's kingdom will be revealed. It will be exposed and purged away, but this time by the consuming fire of God's presence. And what will emerge is a transformed and glorified earth, just like you are being transformed and glorified as well. God works to restore everything that has been corrupted and damaged by sin. 
So we live in light of the plan of God. It informs us, it directs us in our relationships and our interactions in, and in our decision-making. We are tied to Jesus. We are infilled by His Spirit, and we are guided by His example. Part of that example, on the night Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper after He spoke of His impending betrayal, the atmosphere around that table became heavy with sorrow. The disciples were confused, and nothing seemed clear to them anymore. They, they had no idea what was just about to happen. In just a few hours, Jesus' suffering would begin, first in that Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was betrayed and forsaken by the very disciples with whom He had just dined, was delighted to dine with. And He was made to stand before the high priest and others who hurled false accusations and insults at Him. Jesus chose to have that Passover meal we talked about last week with His disciples right before the events of that dark night unfolded. He wanted them to know what His sacrifice, so there would be no question what His sacrifice would mean for them. He laid down His life for theirs. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of their sins. Luke chapter 22, verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and His apostles reclined at the table, 15, and He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Suffer? I'm sorry, what, what was that? Suffer? What do you mean suffer? Where, where did that come? How did that come into this thing? We don't talk about that. I thought we were here to hit a high note. That's why we came to Jerusalem, right? How could suffer be part of that plan? How is suffering part of winning? <laughs> aren't, aren't we here to win, Jesus? Isn't that why we came? 16, for I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this, divide it among you. 18, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 19, and he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 20, in the, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The Lord's Supper was instituted in a time of darkness and so when we are going through dark times of our own, hard times, disillusioning times, painful times, seasons filled with loss and heartache, times filled with confusion and disorientation, times filled with loneliness and question, in all of these times or in any of these times, we can find comfort in His presence and we can partake of communion, the Lord's Supper, and remember Jesus. We remember what He went through, uh, what He gave, what He taught, what He lived, what He overcame, what He bared up under, and what He came through, and what His sacrifice means to us. We remember Him as the bread of life, the giver, 
the sustainer of our lives who gave His body so that we may have everlasting life. He is also the sacrificial Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world because of Jesus' one sacrifice. We will be holy and blameless in God's eyes, loved and accepted by our Father. We are given the opportunity to be in right, connected, close, intimate, holy, ongoing relationship with God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Jesus, Son of God, we remember You. Savior, we remember You. Lord Jesus, called the Christ, we remember You. And it's because of You that we are thankful. Gratitude is our gift because of Your sacrifice for us. Jesus, Messiah, we now do this in remembrance of You, because that's what You asked us to do. For the gifts that You have given to us, kind Father, make us truly grateful. Grateful in this moment, but grateful in moments that will later come. Take these elements and use them as reminders for us, triggers in our thought, not just for this moment, but for in the moments to come. As we decide how we are going to relate to each other and respond to each other, as we decide how we will behave and how we will work with the world around us, remind us of our remembering You. We don't want to forget, but Lord Jesus, we forget all the time. It's hard. Thank You for welcoming us back as we come. So now I encourage you, I welcome you. If the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind things that you need to be reminded of that you might be able to process, let's do that right now. For you, what are your relationships like? We call this a checkpoint Sunday. Checkpoint means we acknowledge we're on a road trip, we're going somewhere, and we stop periodically to make sure we're going on the path we meant to. We remember what Jesus has done for us. Ancient past, recent past, my past. We reevaluate where we are right now. Am I living in light of the teachings of Jesus the way He has called me to? This is not about guilt. This is about freedom. This is about getting you to where you really want to go. You want to pursue Jesus? We want to get you there. But we have to reevaluate periodically to see if there's some things that we need to filter back out. I got distracted. The wheel got pulled a little bit over. I just need to straighten it back up. Reevaluate. God, bring to my mind anything that I am out of line on, Give me the courage to process it and deal with it, to not be afraid of consequences, but to be delighted by my earnest pursuit of You. 
on the other side of that fear, there is freedom. Bring it to my mind. Bring it to the minds of my friends that are here with me and who are watching right now. What is it that we need to straighten out, to reevaluate? And as we reevaluate, the next thing we do is refocus. No point figuring out that we were off the path and then staying there. We've got to refocus. Where do I need to go? What do I need to do to make things right? There are circumstances all around you that you cannot change, but you can change the way that you behave, the way that you interact, the way that you are in relationship. And that has an impact larger than you can see. Refocus. Lord Jesus, I want to put my eyes back on you. I want to go eyes up. I know that there are things that distract, and I want to choose to keep coming back to you and running after you. You have been faithful forever. We remember, reevaluate, refocus. And when you have done that, when you and God are clear, Remember that we have a relationship that's vertical, but we also have a relationship that's horizontal. Is God prompting you to deal with somebody else? Do you need to make a phone call today? Do you need to write a letter, an email, send a text? Be in right relationship with God and with all of God's children. As much as it concerns you, as much as you have capability, let's make things right there. And then live in the freedom. Live in the freedom that was bought for us at an incredible price. Remember, reevaluate, refocus. That's what we're doing as we move forward. So we're going to take communion now. We're going to take those um, elements. And uh, what we'll do today, again, is come down this aisle, move up this one. The elements are at the back there. You can collect them in that spot. If you want to take them with someone else, I would encourage you to do that. Spirituality is really hard to live just on your own. I understand that this morning it is preferable to be silent and personal. I understand that. I get it. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I am trying to tell you that if you can share these moments, these spiritual moments with somebody else, it will take you from where you are. Faith is personal private, just me, and live in the light of faith is corporate. It is shared. We together go here. Body of Christ given for you. Blood of Christ shed for you. Say these things to each other. They're true. You have the power and authority to tell the truth to each other. Lord Jesus, guide us forward as we run in earnest pursuit of you. Thank you for the gifts that we have received and that you have purchased for us. Bless these here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.